listeners, I'm Nat. And I'm Kat, and welcome to the Crime Chat. I'm your forensic femme fatale, Natalie Ijo, true crime addict, connoisseur. We're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. Here is your disclaimer, chatters. The following Crime Chat contains adult content and descriptions of violent scenarios today. I do know this. Mm. Your listener discretion is advised. You have been warned, and before we get into today's Crime Chat, Kat, what have you done? So I finished binging you. Mm. The, sh- the TV show, you. Right. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> but I'm obsessed. Oh, my gosh. You're binging me? I'm binging you. <laughs> I have a secret camera. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Although, he's pretty creepy and has, like, you know, cameras yeah. and all this stuff. But season four came out. I think I said that last week. Mm-hmm. The second half of season, season four comes out March 9th. So by the time this podcast is actually published, I guarantee I would have finished it. But at this point in time of recording, it's not out yet, but it will be soon enough and I will have watched it because I can guarantee I will. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Okay, good. Oh, yes. And then I know you mentioned you were watching the Murdoch trial. I had to stop. Okay. Because he is really annoying. Yes. <laughs> There's something about the man that is just very annoying. And I don't know I don't know if I'm just desensitized at this point over murder, but like I feel bad family and everything. Right. I'm not convinced that he did it. I think that he's a bad dude and he messed with the wrong people. Well, I did watch the Murdoch Murders on Netflix. Yeah. The limited series that they have. Did you see that? I saw it, but I did not watch it yet. Okay. So it, well, I, we talked about this. It's just a couple hours down the road. Like, mm-hmm. like I went to the gym and on all the different TV cable news you know like the local news channels or whatever it's all showing the trial live and and that kind of thing yeah so I was like okay yeah I really need to watch it so I watched it gosh that guy yeah he 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 is something else just goes to that stamina of the good old good old boy system mm-hmm. where if your name is something then you're something right mm-hmm. then you have influence and he had been embezzling money in the law firm like and then their housekeeper that died yeah. he made a, a an insurance claim basically saying it happened on my property mm-hmm. my dogs you know tripped her <laughs> and oh please maggie pushed her down the stairs and he tried to cover it up just like the one kid who was who was killed probably by Buster Murdaugh, the older brother. Right. That was a cover-up. It's just like, I don't know, and and we talked about this before too, where Netflix kind of has their spin, Mm -hmm. but when you're listening to, yeah, maybe they have their spin, but at the same time, they offered for SLED, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, uh, South Carolina DNR, Mm -hmm. Murdaugh represent, like, they offered to have all these other people on there to to talk. It is kind of slanted in the one side, but oh my gosh, my heart just goes out for him. The very last thing on the last episode because mm-hmm. they they replayed a couple of recordings from the jail where he was talking to his older son buster and the last thing he said to buster on one of the recordings that ended the whole series was hey did you hear netflix is doing a documentary and, and then kind of closed it out and i was like oh because yeah. they did this before it went to trial like this was all recorded and everything it was it had to have been sometime last year it was after he was indicted for the murders yeah so i don't know i don't know either it's a definitely a crime chat in our future i think he's definitely a crime chat and i think he is a bad dude he's a bad dude yeah i think he messed with the wrong p pe- I, I don't know i just i don't know you know what i was thinking what pops in my head when i hear that scenario is do you remember the first episode of ozark
are. Uh -huh. They had them sit kneeling on the floor. Mm -hmm. The cartel was just kind of killing them one by one because they weren't getting the answers that they wanted. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what pops into my head. Yeah, maybe. Well, other than this murder, I do recommend My Lover, My Killer. I started watching that series on Netflix. Okay. About three or four episodes in and they're like real quick you know like 45 50 minutes incidents of really really bad relationships that there were signs but unfortunately one of the people in the relationship ended up dead oh. so you know what i got hooked on old columbo shows yeah <laughs> i love columbo yes so there's gonna be a bunch of crime chat links in this oh perfect my grandfather god rest his soul victor finnell he mm -hmm. looked identical to columbo <gasps> like identical really? i'm gonna post a picture of colombo and my grandfather side by side so you chatters can mm -hmm. see <laughs> well before we get into your story because i'm so anxious to hear i know you've got some ties to our topic today i do have some facts about staten island it is a borough of new york city located in richmond county new york it is just that an island mm -hmm. if you look on a map right and it's located between the eastern border of new jersey and the western border of brooklyn mm -hmm. so it is one of the five boroughs that make up New York City. We talked about that before. It's it is the actually the third largest in land with fifty eight and a half square miles ish. Mm -hmm. However, it has the least amount of population within its jurisdiction by at least a half. The population four hundred ninety five thousand, mm. and the next borough is like double that. It's over a million. Our personalities make up the difference. <laughs> The five boroughs are the Bronx, which is in Bronx County, Brooklyn in Kings County, Manhattan in New York County, Queens in Queens County, and then of course Staten Island, as I mentioned, is in Richmond County. The Staten Island census record goes back to the year 1790. Ooh. I don't know if you knew that. I found it when I was looking up some like Staten Island history. We got some serious history. We have like a whole community, like the, the 18th century. Do I sense a crime chat on location? I'm not going back to Staten Island. <laughs> I got out. I got out. <laughs> so the first census recorded 3,835 people. Over the last 230-ish years of the first recording, population has steadily increased. So every year that they did a census, it's been increased. There's not one time that it's actually decreased. And as I mentioned, 2020, the population is 495,747 people as of 2020 census. In a 2009 American Community Survey, the population was 75.7% white, 10.2% black or African-American, 15.9% Hispanic or Latino, while Asians made up 7.4% and 1.9% were from either two or more races. In the same survey, the following European ancestries were recorded, because we love our ancestries. Mm -hmm. Italian, 33.7%, Irish, 14.2%, German, 5.7%, Russian was 3.8%, Polish, 3.4%, Albanian, 1.9%, which kind of surprised me, actually. English 1.6%, Ukrainian 1.3%, Norwegian 1% flat, and then Greek was also 1%. A home to the Lenape indigenous, Lenape, Lenape? Do you know how to pronounce that? No, I've never heard of it. Okay. Well, Staten Island it was home to the... <laughs> this is going to be fucking fun. <laughs> 
Staten Island was home to the Lenape indigenous people. The island was settled by Dutch colonists in the 17th century. The island was named for the Staten General or States General, translated in Dutch, of the Dutch Republic. Following the acquisition of New Netherland in 1664 by Great Britain, English and Welsh farmers established homes and farms on the island. It was one of the 12 original counties in New York State. Staten Island was consolidated with New York City in 1898. And then under this 1898 city charter adopted by New York State Legislature, a borough is considered a municipal corporation that is created when a county is merged with populated areas within it. And I, I mean, I grew up, obviously, I would mention in like upstate New York. Mm -hmm. I, could, I don't remember places being called boroughs and I didn't get really intimately familiar with boroughs until I lived in New Jersey. So <laughs> Staten Island was formerly known as the quote unquote borough of Richmond until 1975 when its name was changed to borough of Staten Island. I did not know that. In 2009 also borough president James Molinero started a program to increase tourism on Staten Island. This program included a new website Staten Island Attractions, a video that aired in both Staten Island and the Manhattan Whitehall ferry terminals as well as informational kiosks in the terminals which supply printed information on Staten Island attractions, entertainment, and restaurants. Now, although Staten Island lacks venues... <laughs> I was going to say attractions, like what, a pigeon? Oh, they tried. <laughs> I'm going to get to it, right? So they tried. Okay. <laughs> they tried, like, come to Staten Island, and I'll get into a little bit of the dumping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Staten Island does lack venues. One can see that there are, though, some live music artists at local restaurants and spa spaces, such as Flagship Brewery and Tap Room and O'Henry's, mm -hmm. the Hop Shop, Sepe Pizza Bar, the Burrito Bar, Adobe Blues, and Hub 17 is hopping on most weekends. I've had a bunch of drunk nights at the Burrito Bar and Adobe Blues. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, we want to see pictures. We don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> we want proof. <laughs> For theater, there's a Staten Island Shakespearean Theater, a Luminart Productions, Hemlock Theater, Sundog Theater, and the Art Center at the College of Staten Island, Seaview Playwrights Theater, and the Little Victory Theater. <laughs> Nearly 50 movies have been partially or wholly filmed in Staten Island. Some of these include Analyze This, Big Daddy, A Beautiful Mind, Donnie Brasco, The Godfather, uh -huh. Goodfellas, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, The Irishman, The Other Guys, Trainwreck, War of the Worlds, and Working Girl. Ah, I didn't know War of the Worlds was filmed there. Okay. I didn't know that either. Staten Island has acquired a number of nicknames over the decades, some connected to the notion that it's considered an afterthought by New York City residents and that, you know, and I saw a little bit thing too where it's like, why doesn't Staten Island belong to like New Jersey yeah. <laughs> instead of New York City? Yeah. It's considered quote unquote the forgotten borough mm -hmm. and it was first used nearly a hundred years ago in a New York Times article that quoted a real estate executive saying the forgotten borough. The phrase was more used during the secession movement of the 1990s and came into greater use in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. Most recently people have been using quote-unquote The Rock, more commonly associated with Alcatraz. Have you heard of The Rock? Mm -hmm. This nickname first appeared in a New York Times article in 2007. The hip-hop group Wu-Tang Clan, which originates from Staten Island, coined the name Shalon? Sh Shalon? Shalon. Shalon Land. Yeah. Shalon Land. So they originally said Shalon Land, simply later just called Shalon mm -hmm. for Staten Island as part of their slang. So Wu-Tang. <laughs> Some of the criminal statistics. Staten Island has an overall crime rate of 10 per 1,000 residents making the crime rate near average for all cities and towns of all sizes throughout America based on, you know, the population percentage, right? Mm. New York City's five boroughs reached its peak of violent crimes in the mid-1990s. You probably remember that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> However, there has 
been a steady decrease in violence since then. While all crime can never be eliminated, people who live in Staten Island generally consider the southeast part of the city to be the safest. According to FBI's crime data, your chance of becoming a victim of crime in Staten Island is 1 in 96. Also, there are 204 registered sex offenders found in Staten Island. Huh. So based off of the 495,000 residents, 204, I guess, isn't really that bad. <laughs> I don't know. Any registered sex offender is bad. Is bad. <laughs> Overall, shootings and murders are down throughout the island. However, across the seven major categories of crime, we've talked about, you know, violent crimes. In this specific report, I found they listed seven. Murder, rape, robbery, burglary, grand larceny, auto, felony assault, and then just grand larceny like property. Mm -hmm. Staten Island has seen a 32% increase since August of last year. So we're talking like in the last six months. Mm -hmm. The most dangerous borough, though, I was able to find was the Bronx at a crime rate of 25 per 1,000 residents. And I mentioned Staten Island was one in, or sorry, it was 10, 10 in 1,000. Mm -hmm. In 2022, the Bronx had 131 murders in which their crimes of violent crimes totaled almost uh, 28,000. Wow. Yeah. Compared to Staten Island, they had 11 murders with their total violent crimes of um, just over 3,300. Mm. One final note, here are five strange things you may not know about Staten Island. Number one, it is the second wealthiest borough following Manhattan. Number two, it has 170 parks with 12,300 acres of protected land. Number three, Staten Island's ferry wasn't always free, and you probably know that. Mm -hmm. Up until 1997, passengers were expected to pay 50 cents per person per ride. Number four, once home to the largest landfill, which is now becoming a park, <laughs> for 53 years, Staten Island was the home to about 150 million pounds of trash mm -hmm. in Fresh Kills Landfill. It was closed in 2001, and the newly established park won't be fully operational until 2036. During the summers, I would go visit my family who lived in Virginia Beach, and they had us. It was a former landfill. Uh -huh. They called it Mount Trashmore, <laughs> <laughs> and it it was like covered. And it's this beautiful park now. And like uh, every year for the Fourth of July is where they have their like big fireworks and everything. Yeah. And you could go up onto Mount Trashmore, and it's called Mount Trashmore. It's like to this day, and it's a huge attraction. So I don't know. Maybe Fresh Kills Landfill will be a huge attraction. Uh. Number. Number five, I don't know if you knew this, Game of Thrones fans may be happy to know the inspiration for Westeros was modeled after Staten Island. Get the fuck out of here. I yeah. had no idea. So the creator of Staten Island, he lived in New Jersey and he would look out his window and see Staten Island. Uh -huh. And that's kind of as far as modeling it and drawing it out. It's That's the coolest fact about Staten Island right now. <laughs> well, so I know I listed the top five, but I have to mention one more. Okay. Fresh Kills Land. Landfill for many years was a dumping ground for not only trash but for bodies. Yeah. It was used as a burial site for some of the victims' remains of the 2001 terrorist attack at World Trade Center, which is also why now it could be turning into this park mm -hmm. and memorial site. Yes. So I saw a lot of articles too that were like, it stinks. Like there's something more than just trash there, and it is. There yeah. are bodies in there. There are bodies in there. Yeah. And I mean, there was one article too that this lady, her son Matthew, w worked on like the 93rd or 94th floor of one of the trade centers. She's like, I know my, she, her, his body was never recovered, but 
she's like, I know his remains are there. And I was just like, oh, that breaks my heart. Yeah. The island is shaped like a triangle and it's mm-hmm. about 14 miles long and about 7.3 miles wide. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So for 500,000 people to be living there, it gets tight. It does. Well, I know that's kind of not ending on the happiest note, but think Game of Thrones. That's that's a cool, that's a cool little factoid. That's the best fact in this whole freaking story. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for doing that. I learned something about that island I did not know. I love it. I'm glad. You know, something a little out of the ordinary. Yeah. We're going to fact check everything on here. (laughs) (laughs) So before we dive into the story, it must be said that this is one of the harder cases to hear. Mm. Even if you're a true crime junkie, don't be surprised if some of the details make you queasy. Yes. Most of it consists of stories and confessions of a serial killer. Some are linked, but trust me, all of it is disturbing. The story is normally told in pieces. I'm not going to do that. So it's coming in heavy. So yes. Bear with us, chatters. Bear with us on this one. Yeah, I'm going to say another warning. This crime chat is not for the faint of heart and may be disturbing to some listeners. The story is graphic. It involves rape, molestation, and cannibalism of children. It includes actual unedited confessions by the killer who was an actual monster. Mm -hmm. So if this is not for you, please feel free to skip and check us out for the next episode. Yes, absolutely. So as a former Staten Islander, I wanted to do this case because honestly, I've heard this case told so many times. But most of the time, Staten Island is easily depicted as some type of weird, negative, scary place without any personal knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it's all true, cat. No, just <laughs> It's a great place. It's my favorite borough. And there's a reason why it's the Forgotten Borough, and I'll get into that later. Okay. So between 1870 and 1936, the press gave this monster a couple of names. We know him as the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac, the Real Boogeyman, and the most popular one, the Gray Man. Mm. Our story today is about Albert Fish. And it stinks. Mm Mm-hmm. To high heavens. Hamilton Howard Fish was born in Washington, D.C. on May 19, 1870 to Randall and Ellen Fish. The name Albert came in later, and I'll get to that. Okay. Fish's father was an American, and his mother was an Irish-American. Mm-hmm. His father was also 43 years older huh? than his mother. He was 75 at the time Hamilton was born. Oh. 75 years old. His mother was 32. Ugh. See, it already started off disgusting. I, I mean, and I know it was like a different time back then, but like, I can't imagine. Well, Hamilton was the youngest child and he had three living siblings, Walter, Annie, and Edwin. The family had a history of mental illness. That explains (laughs) explains everything. His uncle had mania. One of his brothers was confined in a mental hospital. His sister, Annie, was diagnosed with a mental affliction, and his mother had visual hallucinations. Hmm. It's pretty significant yeah. with everybody in your family. <laughs> just, sorry, it just arrives. <laughs> so everybody's going to be like, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Am I the drama? I the problem? Is it me? So Hamilton's father, a fertilizer manufacturer, suffered a fatal heart attack and died on October 16th, 18th. 75. Hamilton was only five years old. But the dad was 80, so, uh, like, that's understandable. (laughs) Yeah, he died. The mother was unable to care for her children, so she gave them all up to different orphanages. Like, she sent them, she separated them, and they all went to their own place. Mm -hmm. Fish was placed at St. John's Orphanage in Washington. He was five years old. At the school, he was bullied and physically abused. He would say that this is where he began to enjoy physical pain Mm. from the beatings, as well as watching 
kids in pain. Mm -hmm. During these beatings, he claimed to get erections. Mm -hmm. He would later claim that the orphanage showed him pain and triggered his sadomasochistic tendencies. So I was going to say at a very, very early age, he started to associate pain and sexual gratification together. And associating those together would then lead to, as they got older, to not being able to have one without the other. Yeah. When he was 15 years old, he changed his name and he wished to be known as Albert. He wanted to name himself after his dead brother. He had a younger sibling that passed away. Okay. And also to escape the nickname the orphanage gave him, which was Ham and Eggs. <laughs> For Hamilton? The Hamilton, oh. yeah. Moving forward, we'll call him Fish because he's fishy. Because he's fishy and he stinks. By 1880, Fish's mother got a new government job and she brought all the kids back home. And at this point, Albert was 10 years old. Unfortunately, after years of trauma and unimaginable abuse by the hands of the orphanage, staff, nuns, and other kids, the damage was already done and a monster walked out of that place. Mm, mm. We don't know when. Albert claims that during his childhood at the orphanage, he did fall from a tree hitting his head and then was like diagnosed with a concussion. Mm -hmm. From that point on, he says he suffered dizzy spells and headaches the rest of his life. Okay. At 12 years old, Albert began a relationship with a local telegraph boy. He claimed that the boy introduced him to practices such as drinking urine and eating feces. Literally, I just had a shiver down my spine. (laughs) Fish began visiting public bathhouses, which he can watch other boys undress. This is also called voyeurism. Mm -hmm. Voyeurism is a disorder involving fantasies and urges and non-consenting behaviors. So a voyeuristic disorder can occur when someone experiences sexual arousal while watching an unsuspected person. Mm -hmm. The arousal occurs when uh, someone is undressing naked or engaged in sexual activity. Somebody with voyeuristic traits might record the person or steal items such as their underwear. The person or people getting watched usually have no idea, making the peeping Tom feel powerful. Yes. And I have this picture of Joe, the main character, Joe Goldberg from You. Yes. Yes. And also on Netflix, there is a series, a limited series called Voyage. I am a stalker? I'll send it to you. Okay. But it's about a guy that um, bought a hotel and put holes in all the rooms. Yeah, it was gross. It's gross. We had a couple of voyeurism investigations with the military. It's actually a, a criminal charge and it's not considered like yeah. a, some sort of disorder. It should be criminal. Like it's, it's, yeah. no, it's a peeping Tom. It's gross. I told you about the peeping Tom I had when I was little, right? No. In the neighborhood? No. <laughs> what? We had one in our neighborhood. And, and this is, it's kind of like one of those gateway crimes, you know, where you're kind of expecting if this person is to let go, like, you know, getting arrested and being released and getting arrested and being released right that's it's not something that they can stop and the guy in the our neighborhood ended up stealing like underwear and one of the searches and he was in like i was probably i don't know i was like when i lived in that neighborhood like middle school high school and i've caught him peeping before scared the shit out of me i think i was like 11 or 12 god yeah what did you do well so not to distract but it's just like i'm triggered right now no i'm just kidding crying gently (laughs) I got it. I got it. So, um, like some of my best girlfriends that we we all grew up in the same neighborhood. We still, you know, we're still really good friends and stuff to this day. Mm. But there was he lived in the neighborhood, and he was probably in his mid thirties. Once it, he was identified, I was probably eleven or twelve. But it happened for several years and then we moved into that house I think it was nine eight or nine and one incident that I'm 
and I know it happened several times, but I when I caught him, the one time I caught him, I was laying down. I think if of a kid, right? Mm-hmm. You're preteen, right? You know, starting to like come out of your shell and like think I was watching Friends, and I'm laying on my stomach like this. My feet are in the air, like kicked up behind mm-hmm. me, and I'm like kicking my feet behind <laughs> me, and I'm watching my little 13 inch TV, and the window was open. And it must have been like either fall or spring or something where it was cool enough to have the windows open and the AC wasn't on. Right. And I hear like the crunching uh, in the grass of footsteps. And I froze. I turned around and I see this hand go down behind the window. Oh my gosh. So I I ran. My mom's bedroom was like on the other side of the house. So I ran over. She was on the phone. Mm -hmm. As I was going to go to her bedroom, I see him walking like he had hopped over the fence and like coming out of our driveway, crossing our front yard to walk onto the street. Oh my God. And he was wearing like hot pink shirt and hot pink oh my God. and it was probably I don't know, it was early 90s right, or whatever yeah. to, you know, tell my mom we called the cops or whatever and the cops knew him he was arrested so many times my girlfriend like one of my best friends he actually got into her house and she rolled over like in the middle of the night and he was standing in her doorway okay that's bad they did a search of his house he had like women's underwear and women's clothing and everything like that I mean oh boy I mean yes there is some sort of disorder with it but it's, it's not like a disorder that you can fix with medication right you know what I mean like mm-hmm. this person person is a harm to other people mm-hmm. so there's my little yeah. crime chat link <laughs> that's super creepy yeah so by 1890 at the age of 20 fish moved to new york city he stated this is where he worked as a painter and became a part-time male prostitute as well as hiring some for his pleasure he also started molesting and raping boys some as young as six years old he would lure boys into the houses he was working at as a painter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he travels a lot as a painter so the number of children he hurt technically is unknown Mm. his depraved sexual appetite grew he started whipping himself with a cat of nine tails is a whip that he created which is like a whip with little nine extra little whips hanging from it usually with Mm -hmm. some type of metal heavy weighted end to it this is also around the time where he began to write obscene letters to random women in response to their classified ads or in matrimonial (laughs) agency ads and this is when it was like i don't want to say safe because it's you know desperately seeking susan or right you know single white female mm-hmm. literally there are stories made based on those classified ads yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like Craigslist. Craigslist, yeah. Well, Craigslist is essentially the electronic classifieds. Mm -hmm. So he used the alias Frank Howard and responded with sexually charged obscene letters, even requesting them to beat and discipline him, which is very BDSM. And this is BDSM. At one point, it was an underground world for this lifestyle, which has become more mainstream today. And I am not judging. All I'm saying, it really depends on consent. What is it? Bonding something sadomasochism. A lot of people separate sadomasochism BDSM now because they're like well you may just be more of a submissive or you may be Mm -hmm. somebody who's more like a dominatrix it doesn't mean that you're trying to do something evil it's just this kink or fetish you have right like or even the role playing or or whatever like you know that's a that's a thing that's a thing but when it becomes criminal, obviously. Right. Well, look, Fifty Shades of Grey took this country by storm, okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so in 1898, Fish's mother arranged a marriage for him to 19-year-old Anna Mary Hoffman. She was nine years younger than him. They had six children. Oh. Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. In 1903, Albert was arrested for the first time, but it was for grand larceny, and then he would get arrested a couple of times after that for, like, 
petty theft. Mm -hmm. The longest time he ever served was six months in Sing Sing. Mm -hmm. But every case, he was released and deemed sane. And there is a mugshot of this with a bowler hat. Mm -hmm. I've seen that picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a famous photo of him. Yeah. Although he was married, Fish continued to have lovers. He stated that later with his boyfriend, they went to a wax museum and one of the exhibits was a dissected penis, which he obsessed over. And then it definitely poked his curiosity. No pun intended. <laughs> Crime chat link. Yes. In New York City, there is a famous bodies museum. I have been there two times. Oh, yeah. The entire place is dissected bodies. It's very morbid. It's incredibly interesting. The human body has its own poetry. Mm, yeah. It's hard to wrap your brain around how interesting it is. So uh, there was one exhibit side by side. It was the blood vessels and then it was the nervous system. But they used the solution to expand it. So the mm -hmm. blood vessels that ran through your entire body when they expanded it it looked like a tree oh. and it was huge i mean you walked in you're yeah. like what is that beautiful piece of art so it's actual dissected from a body from a body and then it was injected with fluid okay expand wow i'm surprised it got that that big huge i guess it goes to show you if you got a blocked whatever mm -hmm. i mean it can go through pretty at a pretty good thickness <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> there is controversy behind this museum sure yeah the body's museum got some bad publicity when you start the tour they do explain the process of procuring bodies mm -hmm. they would say is the exhibits were people who donated their bodies to the museum or mm -hmm. to science mm -hmm. but apparently this was not true they found out that all the bodies were actually of Chinese uh, men and women from a biology plantation in China mostly executed prisoners <sighs> That sounds very familiar. Yeah. Have you ever considered donating your body to science? I don't know. I, you know, I never thought of it. I've, I've thought about I'm it. I'm a smoker. So like, I'm not the healthy specimen. But they may want to use that. That's true. As, I don't know. See, this is what happens when you're from Staten Island and you smoke. <laughs> They did shut down the one in Australia, Sydney, but the New mm -hmm. York City and Vegas museums are still open. So we're just going to move on. I remember the one that was in Vegas, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So around 1910, Fish got a job in Delaware. This is where he met a 19-year-old man named Thomas Caden. He took Thomas to a place he was staying at while he was on a job. Mm -hmm. The two began a sadomasochistic relationship. It is unclear if Fish forced him to participate or not. Fish stated in his confession that Thomas was intellectually disabled. Mm -hmm. He tortured him for a period of two weeks. Okay. Fish stated during this time he tied Thomas up, being motivated by what he saw at the museum, he ended up cutting his penis off because he wanted to dissect it like the museum did. Oh. In Fish's confession, he recalls, I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me. Oh. Break your heart. He originally intended to kill Thomas, cut up his body, and take it home. Mm -hmm. But this would draw attention to him. Instead, Fish pour peroxide over the wound, wrapped it in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief, left a $10 bill, kissed Thomas goodbye, and then walked out. He stated, I took the first train I could get back home, never heard what became of him or tried to find out. So, uh, assuming he was still alive? Assuming that he didn't bleed to death. Yeah. In January 1970, Fish's wife left him and their kids and ran off with a handyman. I believe his name was Joe. Oh, those Joes. Fish then had to raise his children as a single parent. Fish stated that she took nearly every possession the family owned. Fish stated this is where he started to have hallucinations. Mm. He continued to indulge in self-harm. One of his favorite torture devices or pastimes was to drive needles into his groin and abdomen. Yes. 
Later x-rays of his abdomen and pelvic area would show that he had 29 needles lodged into his groin. Yes, I, I've seen that. And they were rusty too. <laughs> this is a condition known as pinkerism, uh, meaning to prick. It is a sexually motivated with interest in penetrating the skin of another person with a sharp object, such as pins, razors, knives, etc. Sometimes the serious enough to cause extreme injury or even death. Yeah. Pinkerism is a form of sadism. Although this is done to other people, the most targeted areas are usually the breasts, buttocks, and groin. Associated with sexual, yeah. you know. In very rare cases, it actually includes people doing it to themselves. So this isn't normal, mm -hmm. what he's displaying. Yeah. Some BDSM communities may include pinkerism. It is unclear why people begin to practice pinkerism. It's also not clear if it progresses into another type of kink or fetish. In fact, no research has ever looked specifically at this sexual preference to understand why people do it. Mm -hmm. There is a debate about whether this is a version of rape. Sure. Because the act of stabbing is usually sexually motivated. Right. BDSM may take issue with saying that. So we're not saying it. We're just saying that people are not. Yeah. I will tell you if it was under the UCMJ, that is that right. is affirmative because it's any sort of penetration. Good to know. I, I would think so. Or intent, like attempted penetration mm -hmm. or actually penetrating. I would say, yeah, I would say, yeah. you know, under the UCMJ, that would be a crime. Definitely. Well, here are some historical cases involving pinkerism. London's late 19th century serial killer, Jack the Ripper. Uh -huh. In 20th century, Soviet serial killer, Andre Chikalito was impotent and could only achieve sexual arousal through stabbing or cutting people with a knife. Oh. Almost like a extension to his penis. Like, yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> he sounded like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> so let's put a pin in that for later. Once again, no oh, pun intended. His children would later state that Fish would ask them to beat him with a nail paddle, which is a wooden paddle with a bunch of nails sticking out of it. Mm -hmm. He also inserted a piece of wool doused in lighter fluid into his anus and then lit it up. Flaming balls of fire. <laughs> I was trying to think of a pun. I was going to say, this girl is on fire, but you know, his ass is on fire. <laughs> Fish also occasionally fed raw meat to his kids for dinner. However, no report stated Fish ever physically attacked or abused his children. His children would go on saying that, yeah, dad was weird, but he was a good father. He worked hard and he never hurt them. That's, I mean, I would, I don't want to say that's, that's common because it's not always the case, mm -hmm. but there's a certain protection, you know, in there with like, not yeah. my children, you know, I don't care about yes. whoever else, but. Fish's victims mostly consisted of mentally disabled people, African-American or homeless. Mm -hmm. He later explained that he assumed that nobody cared about these people and if they turned up dead it didn't matter and they wouldn't get it and he was right in a way back then. Fish would also pay local boys to lure other children to him. Fish would then mm -hmm. trap them, torture them, mutilate their bodies and murder the children all by using what he called his implements of hell which consisted of a meat cleaver, a butcher's knife, a handsaw amongst other stuff. It's interesting he named it implements of hell. Uh -huh when they were pleasure for him. I guess they go hand in hand. I would say heavenly tools. I didn't even think of it that way. I mean, other people would think they're implements of hell. Mm -hmm. He used this to torture and destroy young children, basically. Mm -hmm. According to Fish, around 1919 is when things started to escalate. On July 11th, 1924, Fish found eight-year-old Beatrice Keel playing alone on her parents' farm on Staten Island, New York. Mm -hmm. He offered her money to help him look for rhubarb. She was about to leave with him 
when Mother spotted him and chased Fish away. Fish ran away, but returned later and was hiding in the family's barn. Father found him and then forced him to leave again. Three days later, Fish would abduct and kill Francis McDonald, also on Staten Island. Mm -hmm. July 14th, 1924, eight-year-old Francis McDonald was reported missing after failing to return home from playing cap with his friends in Port Richmond, Staten Island. A search was organized and his father was also a police officer, Albert McDonald, who was stationed in Manhattan, but they moved him over to Staten Island for him to help mm -hmm. participate in the search. Francis's body was found hanging by a tree near his home. Aww. He had been sexually assaulted and then strangled with his own suspenders. According to the autopsy, McDonald had suffered extensive lacerations to his leg and abdomen, and his left hamstring was almost entirely been stripped of flesh. <sighs> Mm. You know, the suspenders around his neck, they, it was tied so tight that it looked like it was part of his skin. Wow. Eight-year-old boy. Aww. So McDonald's friends told the police that he was taken by an elderly man with a gray mustache. A neighbor also told police that he observed the boy with the same man walking along the nearby woods. Francis's mother also said she saw the same man walking down the street. Mm -hmm. She stated, he came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself and making queer motions with his hands. I saw his thick gray hair and his drooping gray mustache. Everything about him seemed faded and gray. The medical examiner doing the autopsy of Francis, he stated that the cause of death was strangulation and internal hemorrhaging, which is also he was raped. Okay. Due to the brutality of the boy's injuries, it had to be done by a strong younger man, maybe two men, not a senile old man, mm -hmm. but he was dismissing what everybody else was saying. Yeah. This description resulted in fish being known as the gray man. Yep, I've heard him called that. Two men who worked at Seaview Hospital in New York were questioned. Both men were known as being a little shady in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. One of them literally described fish. Yeah. But because of what the medical examiner said, nobody was looking for an old man. So the police dismissed this witness's account. Yet another one. Mm. Before the Barazano Bridge, Staten Island was as exclusive as the Hamptons are today. Okay. If you had a bungalow or a house on Staten Island, you were part of a very small wealthy group of New Yorkers. But New York City had a mob crime issue. Yeah. And what better place to make sure someone goes <gasps> missing and can't be found than an island you can't get to unless you had a boat. Yeah. And back then, only rich people had boats and cops. Wink, wink. Almost an island. But it's the truth. Yeah. During 1924, Fish was now 54 and he was suffering from psychosis. He later stated he felt that God was commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. People used the term religious mania, having an increased focus on religion or religious activities is a possible symptom of mania and bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. This heightened focus isn't necessarily unique to bipolar disorder. However, it can be associated with schizophrenia. Okay. On February 11th, 1927, three-year-old Billy Beaton and his 12-year-old brother were playing in the apartment hallway in Brooklyn with four-year-old Billy Gaffney. 12-year-old left the hallway to go check on his little sister in his apartment. And this is when it was okay to leave your kids home alone, yeah. right? Back then, there's pictures of people taking their stroller out, just parking it in front of their building and then just going mm -hmm. and cleaning or mm -hmm. it was a different time. Yeah. The two younger boys went missing. They ended up finding Beaton on the rooftop of the same apartment. Hey, where's Gaffney? Beaton said the boogeyman took him. Mm -hmm. He continued saying, it was a thin older man with a gray mustache. Now, at this point, they weren't connecting it with the case from Staten Island. Mm -hmm. For this search, they had about 350 
150 police searching for weeks and never found anything. Gaffney's body was never recovered. Fish started sending letters to the parents. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into that yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gaffney went to the fishes. Oh, I didn't think about that. Initially, serial killer Peter Kutzanowski, that's right? Yeah. Okay. Was a suspect in the Gaffney murder, but then Joseph Meehan on the Brooklyn trolley saw a sketch of Fish in the newspaper and identified him as the old man he saw on February 11th in 1927, trying to quiet a little boy sitting next to him mm. on the trolley. Mm. The boy was not wearing a jacket. He was crying for his mother and he was dragged on and off the trolley by this man. Beaton's description of the boogeyman matches Fish at this point. Sure. Detectives were able to establish that Fish was employed as a house painter by a Brooklyn real estate company during February 1927. Mm-hmm. And he was only a few miles away from where Gaffney was abducted. Mm -hmm. On May 25th, 1927, Fish saw the classified advertisement in the Sunday edition of the New York World that read, Young man, 18, wishes position in country. Edward Budd, 406 West 15th Street, Mm. because they put their address in the ad too. They probably didn't really, not every house probably had a phone. Mm. That would just be a way that they would contact him is when you would just go knock on somebody's door. Now, if somebody comes to the door, it's either Amazon or who the fuck is here because right. I didn't invite anybody over. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so on May 28th, Fish answered the ad, then visited the Bud family in Manhattan under the pretense of hiring Edward. He later confessed that he planned to tie Edward up, mutilate him, and leave him to bleed to death. Fish introduced himself as Frank Howard. Mm-hmm. When he got to the farm, he promised to hire Edward and his friend Willie. He said he would send for them in a few days, but Fish failed to follow up and never showed up. But he did send a telegram to the Bud family apologizing that you know what it's going to take me a little longer I wonder what he just originally I mean you may bring him up later but like if he originally was thinking oh you're too old 18 is too old in one of his confessions he did say that he got intimidated at one point Edward was a little larger so that was definitely Mm -hmm. a deterrent I think at the time and his friend Willie being there and with him you know being older Mm -hmm. a young strapping 18 year old who's who may be a little bit bigger could overtake him too right right so now Fish finally returned to the house and this is when he met Edward's younger sister 10 year old Grace Bud he apparently shifted his intentions from Edward to Grace and made up this quick story he said that his niece is having a birthday party today and he convinced the parents to let Grace accompany him to the party that evening so he was just like hey my niece is having a birthday party I would love to bring Grace there are the kids her age and she would have fun is it okay if she tags along with me Sure, old man. I've just met. Take my 10-year-old. Yeah, I guess they just didn't think anything of because he was an old man, yeah. you know? Yeah. And also a future employer of their older son. Maybe trying to think of it. get favor. Yeah. So Fish took Grace to an abandoned house instead that he had previously picked out to use his implements of hell in private so he wouldn't be bothered in this house mm-hmm. to murder his victims. So it was called the Wisteria Cottage. And this was located at 359 Mountain Road, located in East Irvington, New York. He brutally murdered Grace and ate the girl's remains. The police arrested 66-year-old Superintendent Charles Edward Pope on September 5th, 1930 as a suspect in Grace's disappearance. He was accused by his estranged wife. He spent 108 days in jail. Between his arrest and trial, this poor man went straight (laughs) to trial because his wife was like, he's guilty. I hate him. But he was not found guilty by the court and they would start putting the pieces together with some strange letters that was sent to the grieving parents. Mm -hmm. Now, despite being married already,
Friday because remember even though his wife left him he was still legally married Fish decided to get married again and give bigamy a try mm -hmm. he married Estella Wilcox on February 6 1930 in Waterloo New York my family is from Waterloo New York where is that so it's um upstate uh, between Cuga Lake and Seneca Lake uh, in the Five Finger Lakes area so he gets around this dude they divorced after one week <laughs> well they technically weren't married yeah this time he finally got arrested for sending obscene letters to women the court sent him to Bellevue Hospital for observation but he was released after 30 days to his daughter Anna again the hospital deemed him sane mm. it happened again six months later he was picked up after sending more letters and he was held at Kings County Hospital and the same thing he was released deem sane mm -hmm. warning the following is unedited mm. letter to the mother of Grace Bud and I did change words a little bit because he was a monster this man is a fucking monster November 1934 an anonymous letter was sent to Grace's parents which ultimately led the police to fish Miss mm -hmm. Bud was illiterate and could not read the letter so she had her son read it to her not knowing exactly what it contained due to the graphic content of the unedited letters of Albert Fish they will be available to view on patreon go to patreon.com slash crime chat with Nat and Kat episode 50 Mm. How fucked up is that? Very. He's a monster. Yeah, yeah. Police investigated the letter itself. The story concerning Captain Davis and the famine in Hong Kong could never technically be verified. Mm -hmm. The part of the letter concerning the murder of Grace, however, was found to be accurate in its description. Okay. Although it was impossible to confirm whether or not Fish had actually eaten parts of Grace's body. Sure. The letter was delivered in an envelope, had a small emblem with the letters NYPCBA representing the New York Private uh, Chauffeurs Belivenant Association. A janitor at the company told the police that he had taken some of the stationery home and left it in the room. So this letterhead is only used officially. Sure. So they were like, somebody that works there had to be stealing letterhead or something. Janitor came forward that worked there and said, yeah, I did steal some paper mm -hmm. and I left it in the room that I was staying at. Mm -hmm. It just so happened to be the same apartment building that Fish was staying at. Okay. Police waited mm -hmm. and when he showed up, they grabbed him and they took him to the headquarters for questioning. Mm. Fish made no attempt to deny the murder of Grace Bud, mm -hmm. saying that he meant to go to the house to kill her and her brother Edward. Ugh. This is a very sick person, Kat. Yeah. The detective took him to the place where he said he buried Grace at the Wasira Cottage. Mm -hmm. He took them around the crime scene, recounting every grisly detail, almost like reliving it. Mm -hmm. Even the spot where he said she was picking wildflowers. Mm -hmm. The police were able to uncover a skull and and other small bones buried in the yard where he buried her in a shallow grave. Mm -hmm. Information obtained from the testimony claiming the kidnap was sexually motivated helped Fish avoid any mention of cannibalism by the DA. Mm. Okay, Kat, are you ready for this? This isn't... Mm -hmm. Okay. The McNaughton rule. To establish a defense on the grounds of insanity, it must be clearly proved that at the time of committing the act, the party was laboring under such a defect of reason from disease of the mind as to not know the nature and quality of the act he is doing. Mm -hmm. Or if he did know, he did not know what he was doing was wrong. Yeah. In this case, there was a presumption of sanity. The proof will be that the defendant knows the difference between right and wrong and that he was legally sane and should answer for his acts. Right. In 1930, Fish had been committed to Bellevue mm -hmm. and Kings County Hospital. Mm -hmm. He was already deemed sane mm -hmm. by the psychiatric hospital. Right. They already said he was fit to live in 
in society. Bellevue has a lot to account for here, said Fisher's attorney, reminding the jury that it was up to the prosecution to prove that a man who killed and ate children was sane. Mm -hmm. Because that's what the hospital said. Mm -hmm. Basically, it was this or that. You're either clinically insane or criminally insane. Uh So you can't be both. You can't be both. Okay. Which is very confusing. Why can't you be both? Like, I don't understand. I'm sure things have changed. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, for sure, because now they have, well, the one we talked about last week, the Uber driver, mm-hmm. where the uh, prosecution had a, had a psychiatric evaluation, and he was deemed sane, right. um, and then the trial had been postponed so long because the defense wanted to do their own evaluation of psychiatric sanity, you know, mm-hmm. wherein he was also, you know, deemed sane to for trial, essentially. That's when they know, and that's kind of, I think we still have the same type of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, if you, if you know the difference between between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. We also use that um, for, I'm a child forensic interviewer, and that's kind of part of when you talk to a child who is potentially a victim of any crime, physical abuse, sexual abuse, whatever, establishing with that child if they have the competence to understand the difference between what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just kind of an understanding, and that even goes into many of the, you know, the, the lists and the a lot, a lot, a lot of words that go into the law. Yeah. And like, you yeah. know fancy legal words but basically Mm. do you know what you're doing is wrong right and i think that's kind of where this maybe like stemmed from but we've built on that but knowing the difference between right and wrong i think is still part of that you know balance today of whether or not somebody is competent enough to go to trial right i think with him people were like we want to rely on bellevue and king's county because we want him to be legally sane we want to kill the motherfucker yeah like we don't want him to stay in a hospital right we don't want him to live another moment like people were very like yeah all right you're telling me it's either this or that he's either a murderer or rapist but the minute you mention cannibalism he's insane mm-hmm. no we want him sane we want to finish this yeah well i mean if you think about cannibalism even up to the you know in the 90s with jeffrey dahmer he was mm-hmm. he was considered competent to stand trial yeah for the cannibalism yeah and that was sexual gratification for him right i think the difference here is that he attacked adults true bud was not fish's only gruesome letter oh to the to the bud family yeah that that was one okay. letter. Okay. After he was arrested, Fish wrote the following to his attorney regarding the Billy Gaffney case, and this little boy has never been recovered. Mm-hmm. Due to the graphic content of the unedited letters of Albert Fish, they will be available to view on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash crime chat with Nat and Cat, episode 50. This is what he did. And he goes on. You see this letter. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it, once you start, like, like I have to stop reading it. Gaffney's mother visited Fish in Sing Sing Prison, accompanied by some detectives, because she wanted to know where her boy was. Sure. She was in disbelief, especially after getting this letter. She wanted to ask him, like, what happened to my son? You know, is he dead? Right. She just didn't want to believe that this was his last moment with this man. Mm-hmm. But Fish refused to speak to her. Fish been asked to be left alone. After two hours of asking him questions, through his lawyers, Miss Gaffney gave up. She is unconvinced that Fish was her son's killer, and it's probably just too heavy mm-hmm. for her to like come to terms with. Yeah, yeah. The McDonald murder remains unsolved until the murder of Grace Bud. When several eyewitnesses in Staten Island, the farmer Mister Keel, positively identified Fish mm-hmm. as the odd stranger that he had seen poking around his own farm, going yeah. after his own daughter. Mm-hmm. The Richmond County District Attorney Thomas J. Walsh announced his intentions. To seek indictment against Fish for the boy's murder. At first, Fish denied all the charges. It was only later, in March 1935, where he confessed the killing of Paul Gaffney. He confirmed to investigators that he also raped 
and murdered McDonald. Mm -hmm. When the McDonald confession was made public, the New York Daily Mirror wrote that the disclosure solidified Fish's reputation as the most vicious child slayer in criminal history. Mm -hmm. During the confession about the McDonald boy, he stated he actually intended to castrate the boy, but fled when he heard someone approaching the area. Fish's trial for the murder of Grace Budd began March 11, 1935 in White Plains, New York. The trial lasted for 10 days. Fish pleaded insanity and claimed to have heard voices from God telling him to kill children. Several psychiatrists testified about Fish's sexual fetishes, mm -hmm. stating that Fish was a psychiatric phenomenon and that nowhere in legal or medical records was there another individual who possessed so many sexual abnormalities. The defense's chief expert witness, a psychiatrist with an emphasis on child development, who explained Fish's obsession with religion and specifically the preoccupation with the biblical story of Abraham and Isaac, mm -hmm. saying that Fish believed that sacrificing a boy would be penance for his own sins, even if the act itself was wrong. Defense attorney made a point about Grace being a girl uh, to highlight that he prefers bro boys, not girls. Mm -hmm. So he was insane. Mm -hmm. It has to be he's insane. So defense is trying to push the insanity plea. Yeah, they're trying to spin it. DA stated, although he knew Grace was female, it is believed that Fish perceived her as a boy. Then he stated Fish's cannibalism he associated with communion. Mm -hmm. The last question the DA had with a psychiatrist was what the doctor considered his mental condition based on his life. And the doctor finally answered, he is insane. Yeah. Uh, they found him to be sane and guilty. The judge sentenced him to death by electrocution. So they were like, fuck the insanity plea. Mm -hmm. No, he's sane because we want him dead. Mm -hmm. None of the jurors doubted that Fish was insane. But ultimately, as one later explains, he felt that he needed to be executed anyway. Mm -hmm. With insanity plea, the execution is removed, but they wanted to keep that on the table. Mm -hmm. Fish arrived at prison in March 1935 and was executed on January 16, 1936, in the electric chair at Sing Sing. He was 65 years old. Fish is said to have helped the executioner position the electrodes on his body. <laughs> his last words were reported to be, I don't know why I'm here. Of course. According to witnesses, it took the chair twice to kill Fish because the apparatus actually got short-circuited by the needles inserted in his body, which they never removed. Yeah. They say it's untrue and that Fish died in the same fashion as any other person in the electric chair. But it, you know what? If he got the lightning twice, it kind of makes me feel good. That's okay. At a meeting with reporters after the execution, Fish's lawyer, James Dempsey, revealed that he was in the possession of his client's final statement. Uh, this amounted to several pages of handwritten note that Fish apparently penned in the last hours prior to his death. When he was pressed by the journalist to reveal the documents and the contents, Dempsey refused, stating, mm -hmm. I will never show this to anyone. It is the most filthy string of obscenities I have ever read. Fish was a suspect in at least five murders during his lifetime. He confessed to three that police were able to link him to. Fish once boasted that he had children in every state <laughs> and that one time he uh, stated his number of victims was about a hundred. However, okay, Pee Wee. About <laughs> it is not known whether he was referring to rapes or cannibalism, though. Yeah. There's just victims. What level? I meant there's different varying levels of victims, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So the known victims that we know of that he was charged for is Francis X McDonald, age eight, on July fifteenth, nineteen twenty-four. Billy Gaffney, age four, on February eleventh, nineteen twenty-seven. Grace Bud, age ten, June third, nineteen twenty-eight. He was suspected of the following. Emma Richardson, age 
age five, October 3rd, 1926 is when she went missing. Mm-hmm. Yetta Abramowitz. Abramowitz. Yetta Abramowitz. Age 12, 1927. Robin Jane Liu. Age six, May 2nd, 1931. Mary Ellen O'Connor. Age 16, February 15th, 1932. Benjamin Collins. Age 17, December 15th, 1932. So mm. rest in peace and our hearts go out to you and I'm happy he's dead. For babies. Amen. Amen. That's heavy. You know he's dead. That is heavy. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm. For sure. There's a couple of images when you you hear the name Albert Fish. There's a couple of images that come to mind. One is the Sing Sing mugshot that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. right? And the other one is the image of the needles in his abdomen and like his scrotum area, I guess. Which is I really hope that that chair conked out on the first try and they had to rev it up again and just <laughs> and let fry ahead. him. I really do. You know, and, it, and I do find it super interesting. We we talked about it a little bit earlier, but like his children, his own children were not victims of this, but he was weird. Mm-hmm. There was some sort of, like you mentioned, like child abuse was, was going on at this time. Probably not to the level of what we consider it to be child abuse today as it was, right. you know, a hundred years ago. Obviously, the law has changed and various things have changed over the last century but I, I do find it super fascinating that if there was anything else that they might have seen because he I mean and again this time children were left alone a lot especially when they're mm-hmm. getting older it was always always the oldest children hey you have to look after your your siblings right and the fact that he would just be going and, and disappearing to, to go do these things almost as like a freedom of movement like yeah. any time that he wanted to mm-hmm. whatever happened to his uh, illegal second wife uh, just that they divorced a week later okay. and that was it that was um, in a different state. That was where was that? That was where you lived, Waterloo. Up in well, that, up in Waterloo. Yeah, that's not a different state. That's <laughs> a different upstate. country. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I did find it really interesting, though, that when I was doing the research and the crime statistics, mm-hmm. you had New York City boroughs and non-New York City, <laughs> you know, like the mainland or yeah. the island. Which is crazy because when people say like, so down in Florida, when you say you're from New York, automatically people assume that you're from up north. I would say the city. No. Because I was always said, hey, where are you from? I was born in I was born in New York. and like, oh, you're from New York City? Really? I would get that constantly. So I've, I've just come accustomed to saying I was born in upstate New York. Oh, so you're from Canada. That's exactly what we say. <laughs> oh, okay. You're from Canada. <laughs> oh, okay. So from Canada. Canada, eh? Oh, my God. <laughs> we need to do a Canadian crime chat. Oh, I actually have one yeah. that you should do. There's a lot. <laughs> Snap back. Chatters, that's our new thing. <laughs> So because we don't want to leave you hanging, for more information on this case, please check out After That Crime Chat, only available on Patreon. And you have to have the evilest of minds yeah. to look at it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All the extra stuff will be on there. But don't forget. I told you it was going to be heavy. It is heavy. Beginning. Like, I'm I'm so weak right now from carrying this heaviness. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget to follow us, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok to see what we got coming up. Yes. Remember, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat. Subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes behind the scenes bloopers and check out merch in the works yes be sure to check out our next episode featuring the elusive robert hansen episode as promised i promise it's next that's right i promise it's already being written okay good good you don't want to miss it (laughs) we'll see you in the next crime chat bye Bye, you evil people